toitu he whenua, whatu ngaro ngaro te tangata. The land is forever, but man disappears. E ngā mana e ngā reo, he mihi tēnei kia koutou katoa, ko Justin Murray tēnei, welcome to Te Ahikā on Radio New Zealand National. In our series, Ngā Marae o Te Motu, today I'm in Christchurch at Ngā Hauewha Marae, where, from the roadside, you can see the pohaki or flagpole beside the whare tipuna. The uh, memorial flagpole, and uh, the today was called Te Pau Mahala. And it was um, something that our, our, uh, our old people from the 20, 21st Māori Battalion wanted erected in memory of, of the fallen from World War I right through the present day. That's Pete Mason there who'll tell us about the combined effort of constructing the marae and how only two days before its opening, local workers were still painting the roof. Now that marae is based in Christchurch and ties in well with our Ngā Taonga Kōrero or archival segment which features Sir Tipene O'Regan outlining the history of Kaitahu when speaking at the Te Māori exhibition in 1987. The point is that the only people that have ever lived in Aotearoa before the Pākehā were Polynesian people. And some of them come from the very earliest stages of uh, Polynesian development, which is about 3,000 years ago in the eastern part of the Pacific. Also, Ana Tapiata talks with Tom Kalma from the Australian Human Rights Commission. Now, Tom's passion is advocating for the rights of the Aboriginal people. He outlines how issues are progressing on a political level. It is still a government's playing field. We, we don't have um, the same situation as you have over here in having dedicated um, uh, parliamentary positions um, through the Maori Party and, and um, we've got a fair way to go at the federal level. Um, we, we don't have an Indigenous uh, Member of Parliament. Uh, we have it in a number of the states we do, so there's still some, some way to go before we can get uh, an elected voice. That's all later on Te Ahikā. It's time to kōrero Māori e teiwi, and you will hear most of these words again in our Marae series later on in Te Ahikā. Pauhaki is flagpole. Now this is usually erected beside the whare tipuna, but that can differ from marae to marae. Whare wānanga is a place of learning. Kirikiri is gravel, as in gravel on the road. Kirikiri. Maumahara is to remember or in remembrance of. Now pōwhiri is the welcome ceremony held on a marae. Now some iwi say pōhiri or pōwhiri. Timatatanga or timatanga is in the beginning or to begin with. So, for example, te timatanga o tēnei tau, tau meaning year, it means the beginning of the year. Katsurika is Catholic, katsurika. Wetiriana is Methodist, wetiriana. Iwarau is 900, iwarau. And marina is marriage, marina. Kuiranga kupu home o tēnei wā and for a full list of this week's new words and our podcast you can go to radionz.co.nz forward slash tiahika. Now recently I was at Ngā Hauewha Marae in Christchurch. My hosts Mike Kaui and Pete Mason took me on a tour. Ko taranga te kai.
ko te amorangi, te tomokanga, ko auraki, te whare tipuna, ko te aritaua pītama, te whare wānanga, ko Māui tikitiki a taranga, te tikotiko, ko tūma tauinga, te pauhaki, ko ngā hau e whā, te marae. He marae, he marae nui tēnei, ko te ingoa o ngā hau e whā. Me whakamarama hia mai te ingoa o ngā hau e whā. He marae tēnei mō ngā iwi katoa? Tēnei ingoa o ngā hau e whā, me huripeau i te tīmatanga ki te hanga i o tēnei whare. I te tau tahimano iwerau ono te kau tēra tau. Ka hui ngā kaumātou ngā koe a te nuinga o ngā mātawaka o tērā pito te matune. Te kaupapa i tērā wā i te hokinga mai o te Māori, mai i Amerika. O, ni. Ka pātai mai ngai tahu ki a mātou, ki te noho i wakarātau taha ki te mihi mai, ki te pōwhiri mai, ki te whakuki mai, te Māori te whare pupuri taongi kune. Koena te tīmata tango tēnei rōpū ngā mātawaka. I era wā, he nui tonu he kaki mālo ngā iwi o kune. Ko ngā puhi, ko ngā puhi, ko ngā tiawa, ko ngā tiawa, ko ngā ituhoi, ko ngā ituhoi, ko ngā iterangi, ko ngā iterangi. Kā te wehe wehe katoa. Whawhai i wangi a mātau, hali ngā hōtera, whawhai i nōhea, ko nei tewi kotai. Anyone now a matau crow me at catch me for a tahitato, he rotoit a man on a matawaka. Quena tachimatang on a matawaki honey. Come on, mumma, you are matau crow, a matau crow me for a two fereted tahi a marae motecatoi honey. Not the man amarai rotoit tonio or tatahi, and amaraunga hai. Tuatahi got a rehua marae, o tēnā te marae i whakatūwhera hia i te hāhi we teriana. Mō tērā nā wā tātau taitamaliki halumai kona i te mahi e tēnei mea te Māori Trade Training. Halumai kona i nā rātau i hanga tērā marae. Te marae o ngā hāhi katorika, ka te tūtoni nāi ko te rangi Māriai. Nā te hāhi katorika e whakatū tērā mō ngā wā tātau tama rangatahi a wahine e halama i mahi ana i kone hai wahi mō rātau te hāhi mehingare nā rātau i whakatū te tahi malai ki ana ko te rau oriwa tō tātau pihopa i roto te hāhi mehingare te Right Reverend John Gray koena tāna kāinga tūtahi ingari ko neke atu ki te tāna kāinga ki e tahi atu wahi koena rāna marai hone Ka hama ia wa mātau tangihana, ka rekone wā hai tangi, hai mihi, hai poroporaki, era mea nā mahia e pāna ki a tātou a tātou tikanga. Wa tātou tangihani kona i roti ngā whare. Te nungi kona he pākea, ka rongo rātou i te karanga, ka wai atu rātou ki ngā prihima, nau nau wena i Māori hōha hāli ka te hamama, ka te tangi hāli ina, ka te wera mai. Koina te nga whakaaro o mātau, krau i te rawa me nga kuea, me whakatūwhera he marai mō tātou. Our tour begins in the Wharekai, or Place of Eating, and I notice something I've not seen in any other Wharekai. Okay, wow. 
It doesn't look like no whareka at home, eh? <laughs> it's very big. It looks like the one in Whakatane. <laughs> and we've got some beautiful chandeliers. Well, Norm, 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 he's the, the driving force behind this wow. place and he's the manager of um, and Matawaka. He's the CEO of Matawaka. And Kumato, the, the, the board, we handed over the management to him. And since he's taken over, that's it. And the reason he wanted Chandelier is because he wants to market this place overseas because we get a lot of overseas visitors near and conference and that as well. But he wants to really market nice. so that when visitors come here and, and, and they have their conferences, they pay uh, half of what they, they uh, in the hotel. And, of course, the food here is just, uh, you know, up to Atahua. If I could do my the reunion, national reunion, what to do with the Kaumauru, Tell us about some um, some fantastic occasions that have taken place in this in this farikai, yeah. some twenty firsts and birthdays and all sorts oh, of things. Uh, national education and where are we heading out? We're in the sort of like the foyer. The. He marae awa he kore tenei. Aye. Aye. Kapai. In the first stages of Ngahoe Fa Marae, the land was mostly gravel. We then arrived to the pohaki or flagpole, which is six metres high. Peter Mason outlines the meaning of this pohaki. What's its name? Well, the name of this, this um, memorial flagpole, it, it's called um, the uh, Memorial Flagpole, and it also said it's called the Pomo Mahala. And it was um, something that our, our, uh, our old people from the 20, 21st Māori Battalion wanted erected in memory of, of the fallen from World War I right through the present day. And also to commemorate the fact that uh, the South Island contingent left here mm. the week before uh, uh, what we know now as Anzac Day. So uh, every week before, Sunday before Anzac Day, we always come here and hold a memorial parade. Oh, awesome. Mm, for them. 
and I must uh, uh, acknowledge the Minister of Māori Affairs, Parikura Horomia, because it was him. Uh, they all, when the old fellow says to me, we need some money, I said, uh, uh, get the minister to come down and talk to him, and he he supported their, their co-profit. Fantastic. And, and uh, John, John, the two, two calves on this one, John drew from uh, uh, Ngai uh, Tuhoi, and also um, uh, oh, a carver from, uh, from, uh, from here. So uh, this, this is as a point of interest, we've got four, four 28th Māori Battalion soldiers left here in, in, in Tawaiponu. And they all, all make, make, make an effort to come here uh, on that uh, one day a, a week, uh, a year. Oh, one other thing I'd, I'd like to mention too, these two trees were donated by um, uh, a, a very world-famous um, doctor who, who, who's worried about Māori health. And he worked in a lot of Māori health again. His name um, escaped me. But he also bought some um, uh, three seeds back from uh, where the Māori battalion fought in um, in Italy. Olive, olive tree. Auraki is the name of the Whare Tupuna, or Ancestral House, which was opened in 1990 by Kuro And it was built by the community. well, well, this is probably one of the largest uh, meeting houses in in uh, New Zealand, and uh, again, we're proud because it was built mainly on the backs of our unemployed, and not not Maori, but unemployed from all 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 different races, and that, and they all lived at the back, and they were marvellous. You know, they were glue sniffers, they were blooming addicts, they were everything under the sun, and they slept in the at the back and. Uh, they were persecuted by the press, and the press were at that time. The press were very anti-Maori, and and they looked on this place as oh yeah, another waste of money and everything. Look at those Maori, you know, you know, same rubbish. And uh, our our queer, and especially that that queer up there, yes. and our our um, wakeke, uh, they got all the young together, and they made all the larangi. And the amazing thing was uh, the night before the opening. They, they were still working on the roof painting. Oh, they that's how copa driven they were, eh? And um, yeah, it's we, we remember our, our queers and crowers. And of course, as our as our komatu he was saying, the fact that we have Captain Cook <laughs> yeah. and um, and Abel Tasman, it it makes uh, our our park our brethren much easier coming in here, knowing that uh, their history is is recognised, isn't it? Yeah. yeah.
I mean, that's just and awesome. That, and that's where that name, where they want the clothes wanted, Nahawe Far, literally. Aye. Not, four inch, not based on, on, on Whakapapa or Tena Hapu, Tena Hapu. But um, Munga you want to come get your pai here. Komatua Mike Kaui points out the paipai of the marae. Now this is the place where Komatua sit to deliver their speeches. And as you'll hear, this has changed over the years. These were the... Uh, any manihiri comes on the paipai with the marae on that side. The paipai with the manihiri on Aye. that side. One time he used to be a blooming jack-in-the-box. One, one minute down the bottom, <laughs> then over here on the brenner, then out there, all over the place. And even the rangatahi, or young people, have their own whare for kapahaka practices and performances. This was a brainchild, you know, fantastic, we thought of the idea. But they went to this place there, there's this whare wānanga, to, to be a place that reflects our rangatahi's uh, views and visions, oh, as opposed to... And you have look, you, I, see, I see what I mean. And what would, how would you describe this whare? Hmm? Just the whare You'll understand the difference uh, once we go inside. Oh, ka pai. Oh, ka pai. And of course, these are all, all, all our songs and stories of Te Māori. Eh? Ka pai. Yeah. And you have a look at, you know, all our watatau, pepeha um, watatau kōrero. And uh, there was a, like, I know you know, over this, eh? you know, a lot of the traditionalists said, well, well, we went out of And a lot of other people say, taiwa, taiwa. You know, we need to acknowledge our rangatai. You know, that's something where they can have a look and say, oh, those are our ideas. Those are our colours. And, and they're all about um, Maui and, uh, you know, all those heroines and heroes we have of the old days. That's very visionary. It you know, it is. It wasn't visionary that time. It was, who are those tauregeregas coming here telling us what to do? But it was a uh, rangatahi, yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, mm. you know. I'm not really. some students saying, uh, and they did that over here some time ago, but what's going to happen to that mural? You're going to be taken into the Pretty dining cool. hall. Nice. And you're going to be put out right at the back of the stage. Oh, from a nice backdrop. And this is uh, where we have our, our um, Nitro Māori magic. And the reason that's there was uh, the uh, performers get dressed behind it. Eh? Oh, but, uh, too, like mm. shows are put on in here. Mm, but, but now they move next door. Uh, they're all being held in the big fire, and then this will go up on stage. Marata korero, kote fire nui na korero onehera. Kote fire wana na korero tenewa. Kapai. And so, in terms of students and nurturing the rangatahi, do many do they have rangatahi that live around here? All the this all we get out a lot of rangatahi from the local um, high school. Um, Aranui. Oh, kapai. And they come here quite a lot. And uh, when we have big porphyries, the whole school come up, we can eh? get the tautoko. We, uh, part of the contract of Matawaka is to run cultural sessions, cultural training uh, for government agencies and all that, and they run them in here, hence a term, you know, Te Whare Wānanga. 
um, and of course Mata Waka also run um, a diploma and, and social work and uh, soon to run um, a degree in social work. So a lot of their work is done in Nikone. And when we had Mata Matariki was awesome, we had in here we had all these fellows making soap things and that and, and the kids can come in and make their own uh, tiki and whatever out of soap sand, 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 uh, sand things in it. It was just lovely. They had a all the workshop. You couldn't get any of it. You knew all here. Mm. And uh, so us, us Pakeke had to stay outside. <laughs> so uh, we're quite proud of our rangatahi when they... But I'll tell you what, the whawhai uh, at that time, you know, conservatives against the visionaries and, and, and people were forgetting that this was not... Um, uh, the hapu or, or the iwi from the north. This was, you know, you know how we were urban Māori. Mm, mm. And it allowed our kids to, to be urban. Mm. So when you think of it, there's probably only marae that uh, kids and rangatai had the actual vision or not, and, and, and allowed to uh, to show their vision, eh? Kapai. Choice. And so there's a bit of a digger over there. What's happening over there? Oh, they're doing the pipes. Oh, the pipes. Yeah. Oh, putting, putting in pipes and uh, oh, yes, cables, yes. the security, yep. as well as cameras. This place, there are cameras all over the place. Oh, kapai. You can't scratch your nose without <laughs> you being seen. <laughs> um, a lot of people want to come and get married, eh? Uh, so he's um, put that up there, those who want to get married in, in Ikuna. What do they call it? Uh, Gazebo. Yeah, and, and that's going to be all set up for for weddings. How beautiful! Mm. And that's why uh, normally they kill all the grass off, and then they're going to put a retire it, and then put um, a sprinkler system, and that's what they they're doing. This is a huge marae. Oh yeah. Is it difficult to maintain in terms of mahi when you have working bees? Well, working uh, bees? Norm Norm does all that with his staff. Okay. Yeah, the seminary staff do it, and um, they bring in contractors, of course. Uh, we're frightened to do anything here because we get told off, get out of here, that's not your father's job. <laughs> your father's job is to sit on the pie and make noise. <laughs> <laughs> is there a strong um, sense of, like, when there's tangihanga and, and the paipai tapu and kuia and kraua who are active on the marae, is there a strong sense Kai of that? Kai te haritonu. Kai te pai uh, nga o nga o nga o nga o nga 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 We try not to have um, um, tangihanas here unless it's a oh, very okay. important thing. Not to me, it's such a big place, especially a small whānau, and you got a little whānau in a big thing. True. Mm. Whereas, um, we've got a lot of those urban marais, uh, Te Rangi Māori, you know, good little little farm oh, family okay. thing. The upkeep of this place is astronomical. Okay, to All people can sleep well knowing, uh, you know, go to and despite struggles over the years, Nga Hoe Marae also hosts NZQA-approved courses in music. And every Thursday and Friday, you can check out their Māori magic shows. I'm Justine Murray, and you're listening to Te Ahika on Radio New Zealand National. Te Ahika reporter Ana Tapiata spoke to Tom Colmer recently. Tom, who is of Aboriginal descent, is the Race Discrimination Commissioner for the Australian Human Rights Commission. He's been working as an advocate for Australia's Indigenous people for 35 years. Tom Kalmer, 
I'm from Australia, from the Australian Human Rights Commission, and I'm the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Social Justice Commissioner and National Race Discrimination Commissioner. What is your iwi, Tom? Well, it's uh, uh, from my father's side is Iwija, and from my mother, Kungarikan, up in the Northern Territory of Australia. And uh, yeah, it's just outside of Darwin. Did you grow up knowing that side of you? Oh, very much so, yes. Uh, we were very fortunate in, um, from both mum and dad's side that, that we managed to get our land back. Uh, mum's country, which I grew up in mostly, was just southwest of Darwin, and so we had very close contact with uh, all of the family um, and still have many families still living on country, uh, still living um, you know, in, on the riverbank and uh, uh, yeah, and uh, many of us have moved into, this, into the cities, Darwin, small city, and, uh, and elsewhere around Australia. Do... I know this is going to sound a funny question, but do you live the life you want to live? Um, yeah, very much so. I think I'm also very fortunate in that um, my job allows me to travel. And even though I live in, in Canberra, which is in the southern part of Australia, and my office is in Sydney, so I have to travel between Canberra and Sydney every week, but I also have a responsibility to look after uh, Aboriginal Islander affairs, um, that's like Maori affairs, uh, for all of Australia. And so I get to travel a bit, so I still get home uh, to Darwin uh, maybe four or five times a year for various events and I'm able to catch up with my mother and, and family and, and uh, during holidays also undertake some cultural uh, maintenance activities. And how does that upbringing help you to do the job that you do? Well, look, for as far as uh, Indigenous Affairs, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander Affairs, it's allowed me to have a very clear understanding about the, the situation of our people and, and, and uh, what it's about, about being a landowner, uh, having a relationship with land, so that when I uh, review what's happening in Indigenous Affairs, and my job is to, uh, current job, is to look at the way government policies and programs impact on, on our enjoyment of human rights. And so I can, I can um, you know, empathise a lot. I can understand clearly from where people come from and why people are are um, behaving in the way they behave and and the real impact of government policy and programs on our people. It's too easy for for people to say well you know they're, they're a drunk and uh, or they take drugs and therefore they should just pull themselves out of that and get on with it. Uh, what I say to, to government officials and others think about where Aboriginal Islander people came from. You know we were dispossessed from our land, we were actually forcibly removed from our land, many of us put into government missions and settlements where we were uh, told not to practice our culture, our language and um, and that's had a fairly dramatic impact on, on a lot of us. We were moved out of our country into into the big cities, sometimes we had to follow jobs so you know we there, there are a whole range of different experiences that impact on our lives and the way that we behave and so it's incumbent on governments to to try and develop programs that, that assist us to, to get strong, to be empowered, to be able to take control of our lives again. And so I can come with that sort of authority. I seem to have heard that story before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, I'm, I'm sure it happens elsewhere. I think uh, the significant difference between 
um, how Maori have have had experiences, and what we have as Aboriginal Islander people is the Treaty of Waitangi. And you know, you for many years you had difficulty in getting governments to to respect and honour that, and and to uh, to be able to to uh, treat you with with respect and the respect as a First Nations people. We are going through that struggle now in Australia, and um, you know we've we've just had a change of government late last year, and already we've seen a totally different approach by politicians, and um, that's slowly translating to the government, uh, uh, to the bureaucrats on how to work with Aboriginal Islander people. Just before we get on to your work in uh, the Commission, was there ever a time when being in, of Aboriginal descent was bad? Oh, look, it, it, um, for, yeah, I, I suppose for a lot of us uh, it, it was. In fact, um, up until the 1967 referendum in Australia where, where um, you know, 90, 92% of the Australian population voted to consider Aboriginal Islander people as part of the Australian society, prior to that time we were considered as flora and fauna and not as peoples. And, um, and so we, we were now counted after that on, on the census. We were given uh, rights that we didn't enjoy fully previously, rights of employment, rights of housing, rights of access to education. So for a lot of people, and uh, right around Australia, it was very difficult for them to identify as an Aboriginal person because they were, ident- they were denied rights. And so after 1967 referendum, we suddenly gained those rights and we're still going through the struggle though and it's a similar struggle to what what you're experiencing over here in that both our governments opposed the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples and that's a declaration uh, under the United Nations system that respects uh, the rights of Indigenous uh, peoples of the world and you know it's what's important to recognise and this is why a lot of us had difficulty with our governments in understanding why they opposed it, it was that they're not new and separate rights for Indigenous people. They're the same rights as all other people enjoy around the world, except that they were put into a single document. And um, and so those sort of rights shouldn't be denied. And uh, and hopefully, I know that from the Australian perspective, our government is saying that they're going to honour the declaration and start to work towards um, its implementation in Australia. You must be pleased with the new government that's come in. Well, look, I am pleased. Um, I think there's a couple of reasons. One is that um, the new government has, and, and pre-election, made it very clear that they were going to treat Aboriginal Islander people with, with respect and with dignity, and, uh, and that they were going to do that in partnership with us. Since the government's got in, they've had the national apology uh, to, to Aboriginal Islander people who were forcibly removed from their families through government policies. The previous government... Um, virtually denied that as, as, as taking place when it was government policies that actually uh, c- created that, that movement of people. Um, so we've had the apology. We've also had the government sign up in March this year to a statement of intent and that was to address the inequality that exists between Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal health outcomes, whereas uh, we're just the, the, the headline figures that we're dying 17 years younger than our non-Indigenous counterparts and so you know, we need to, governments need to address that in a meaningful way. The statement of intent is there to do that. It talks about a partnership 
uh, with with Aboriginal and the people and governments. It talks about working together. It talks about appropriate funding, um, supporting a strategic approach to addressing health, which includes targets and benchmarks and evaluation processes, adequate funding. So the right sort of ingredients are there. We just need to put them into into practice now. How do you ensure that the voice of your people are heard when it's lined up against a government agency and a mm. bureaucratic structure? Look, that, that, that's a real challenge. Um, just a month or so ago, I presented to government an issues paper on, uh, in relation to a national Indigenous representative body because when ATSIC was abolished in 2004... ATSIC? ATSIC, which was the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Commission, and that, that was the body that, that was an elected body of Indigenous people that represent Indigenous voice. The previous government uh, abolished that, and so we didn't have the opportunity to have a, a representative voice, and in fact all we had was the government uh, had an appointed committee... Well, in 2006, I proposed that I'd, I'd develop a discussion paper. I got that out this year um, because we had the NT intervention, which redirected a lot of my attention in 2007. And so the consultations have already started. The government's, uh, you know, supported the establishment of a new representative body. They're going through a process of consulting with Aboriginal and people nationally. That will go on for about six months, and hopefully by the middle of next year we will have a national representative body and that's the body that will be able to, to present a voice to government, not only the federal government but state governments as well if they want to, uh, on, on how, how Indigenous policy sh- and, uh, should be framed and that's important. It's still their playing field? It is still the government's playing field. We, we don't have um, the same situation as you have over here in having dedicated um, uh, parliamentary positions um, through the Maori Party and and um, we've got a fair way to go. At the federal level, um, we, we don't have an Indigenous uh, Member of Parliament. Uh, we have it in a number of the states we do, so there's still some, some way to go before we can get uh, an elected voice. And, you know, there, there are some commentators saying, well, you know, the, the Parliament should be the place. They should represent the, the interests of Aboriginal Islander people. Well, unfortunately, uh, they don't do a very good job of that. Hmm. So we need to look at another mechanism to be able to, to until we can get our fair representation at the parliamentary level, to make sure that we do get um, our voice heard, not only domestically but also internationally. We've got to be able to present to the world, um, as all of us have, have a right to do as Indigenous peoples, the view of, of the First Nations people of the country. You'll have seen a few sunrise and sunsets. Is this a matter of the tide ebbing and flowing? Well, I, th- I think it is, and, 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 but what we've got to do is to, is to make sure that, that um, you know, while the tide is up, that we, we make sure we have a solid foundation put in place, something that, that might come through a legislative process where we establish a representative body, that, uh, and in establishing the representative body we also um, are looking at things like the, the statement of intent, and, you know, that statement of intent, whilst it's addressed towards... Uh, indigenous health. It also has direct implication for all other areas of Indigenous affairs. And the other good thing is, well I mentioned the government signed up to it, we've also had the opposition sign up to it. So it is a a bipartisanship approach. So hopefully that that is the foundations for the future because 
Um, whilst the opposition, whilst they're in opposition and they're, they're willing to work with Aboriginal and people, the future governments, uh, should there be a change of government, I think we'll have some obligation. But you can never tell, you know, that's never there for certain. So we need to look at the, the backstopper saying, OK, let's put a legislative framework in place to be able to support that. I still hear hope in your voice? Oh, very much hope. I think, um, look, you know, for once, um, and it's been a long time in coming, we've had a bit of an open door, uh, you know, with, with politicians willing to talk to us and, and uh, listen to us and to hear us, you know, because it's uh, fine to have the open door, but if they're not willing to, to, to hear what we have to say, then that makes it difficult. So it's early days. I'm not, not overly excited, but I'm encouraged by the way that... Um, you know, we've got a working relationship with government. Um, I think our Prime Minister has demonstrated already his genuine interest um, through the apology and the, the passion and empathy that he showed uh, at that time was was highly regarded by uh, not only Aboriginal and Islander people but the, the people of Australia, that, that we have a Prime Minister that's willing to go out and bat for us and, um, and that was highly regarded for people who are members of the Stolen Generation and their, their children... Uh, regard it very highly. I was fortunate in that the the um, Stolen Generations groups asked me to respond on, on behalf of Aboriginal Islander people to the apology and so I got to, um, to to make that statement at Parliament House um, on the day that the apology was made. So so I think, you know... That the statement said what? Um, the, the statement from government? No. Uh, from my statement? Yeah. Well, my statement virtually uh, welcomed the apology it also uh, drew on on uh, the experiences, my own personal experience, so because there's a whole lot of discourse, a lot of discussion in Australia saying, well, look, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of denial saying, well, they weren't really stolen, it was for their good. Uh, you know, a lot of people wanted to go and, um, and uh, you know, parents were, were more than happy to let their children go. And, and I drew on an example of, of um, uh, one of the official government records of 1911 which um, related to, to my um, great-grandmother and, and her mother, and, and what it said was in the official records that, uh, uh, that my great-great-grandmother didn't want to let her child go when they came to take her. And that's clear documentary evidence that, that, that you know, people wanted to retain their children, keep their children. And look, you look at the international... Um, convention. Like all good parents. Uh, now. Yeah, like all good parents. And, uh, you know, people people sometimes have to, um, uh, you know, have their, their children, um, you know, taken care of. Um, but that should be a temporary measure. And whilst whilst we're able to get them ourselves back on our feet. But but it's a, it's a matter of putting into place programs that support families to grow as families and not just to say, well, taking away is the solution. You know, that's not the solution. That's that's uh, that's just a, a short-term stopgap arrangement. And what we should be doing is to assist people. And, and this is the approach we're taking in Australia, of starting to now look at um, you know prevention and diversion programs, but also treatment programs. People who have got an addiction um, or maybe uh, abusing alcohol need to be supported to be able to to break that relationship and. And, uh, and to, to be able to work uh, towards their own 
health and and you know what we what we the phrase that I use a lot in Australia is don't see Aboriginal and Islander people as a problem see us as part of the solution we are the solution to our own problems we just be, got to be given the opportunity to be able to exercise that 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 solution development capacity and supported through government government is a facilitator they're not the they're not the dictators of what is good for us we're the ones who should be doing that Anna Tapiata there who spoke to Tom Kalmer of the Australian Human Rights Commission. I'm Justine Murray and don't forget you can download our podcast, check out the pictures of Ngahoe Far Marae on the RNZ website and if that wasn't enough you can subscribe to our newsletter by emailing tiahika at radionz.co.nz. In Nga Tonga Kōrero, our archival segment, we have the first part of the lecture Sir Tipene O'Regan gave at the Te Māori exhibition held in 1987. In this segment, Sir Tipene outlines the tribal boundaries of Kaitahu and the origin of other tribes in the South Island. Tipene Steve O'Regan of Te Waiponamu's Ngaitahu tribe is a man of many parts. He's a historian and raconteur a tribal consultant and member of the board of the Broadcasting Corporation of New Zealand, chairman of the Ngaitahu Trust Board, and soon to be seen presenting TVNZ's definitive series about the Māori, the natural world of the Māori. When Te Māori opened in Christchurch recently, Tipene O'Regan presented a series of lectures about the tangata whenua of Te Waiponamu. In an earlier edition of Te Punawai Korero, you may have heard me speaking with Tipene about this subject when he spoke during Te Māori's day in Dunedin. However, in Te Punawai Korero this and also next week, you'll be able to hear the full text of Tipene O'Regan's address in Christchurch. How do we come to be occupying this uh, huge area, the biggest tribal area in the whole of Aotearoa? From Te Parinui Ofiti, which is the bluffs, out to the east of Blenheim, Parkhouse called them the Vernon Bluffs, uh, right out to Takaraka, to Cape Campbell, right? down past Kaikoura, right through here, all the way south uh, to Waipapa um, and to Te Araakiwa, Fovo Strait, and around Tawhiti Tarere, or Pusiga Point, the Parkhouse call it, uh, right up to Taipoitini as far as the mouth of the Hifi River, Whakapoi, Whakapoi. So that's the boundaries of Kaitahu Whanui. Whanui means the spread out of all of our tribe, of the larger tribe. No te paranui o fiti ki te rakiura, huri ki te Whakapoi, te rohe pōtai of Kaitahu Whanui, ah, no tēnā karanga tēnā kota. That's uh, the boundary, right? Now, Within that, we have a number of uh, hapu who have been in this island for differing times. We've been here for about, one way and another, for about one and a half thousand years. Roughly ten times longer than the Pākehā has been in this island. Now... There's not many of us can tell you, in fact, the names, birth dates, or in fact very much detail at all about those first people who were here. Because our histories and our 
um, traditional whakapapa of our tūpunas in this island, indeed for the whole of Aotearoa, really only cut back in terms of whakapapa um, only about roughly 20 generations, you know. So we haven't got very long memories in those terms. Uh, only a mere, um, I don't know, 700 odd years of names. And that we know, most of what we know about our earliest tūpuna here derives from archaeology and from other studies. What we do know is that the people of this island, indeed all Māori people, have always been Polynesian. This old idea that you got at school, or some of you did, that uh, there was a bunch of uh, frizzy-haired people called Moriori running around this island um, who were gentle, peaceful folk, and along came those nasty Māori and beat up on them so it serves them right because the Pākehā took their land afterwards. That sort of argument that you've had for most of uh, your schooling, of course, uh, is exposed and can be exposed for what it was, what it is, uh, a load of puruhete. And um, uh, my colleague from the Naitahu Trust Board will translate that word for you uh, if you need it translated. Now, the, um, the, uh, the point is that the only people that have ever lived in Aotearoa before the Pākehā were Polynesian people. And some of them come from the very earliest stages of uh, Polynesian development, which is about 3,000 years ago in the eastern part of the Pacific. Now, it's quite interesting, you see, because we were always told at school that these first people were all gentle, lovable, warm people, you know, full of aroha and manaki, and they never had to punch up with anybody. And it was only the savage later development of the Māori, and particularly, of course, if you lead to some things, it was these naughty ngaitahu who came down on what is called the Norman conquest of Te Waiponamu by one notable scholar. I don't know who Norman was, but I had an uncle by that name. Um, um, but anyhow, the... Um, the point is that they argued, you see, that they had no weapons, right? That these people, because they argued that our ancestors had no weapons here because the archaeologists hadn't found any weapons, right? Because they found a whole lot of ornaments and a whole lot of burial things and some clever adzes. They said, well, we can't find any nasty weapons, so therefore these people were peaceful. That's the kind of logic that comes because basically they haven't gone far enough, haven't dug far enough. When I was working in Tahiti 18 months ago, two years ago now, I was on an, oh, out from Tahiti, I was on an island called Huahene. And there, dated almost exactly at 1,500 years ago, in a swamp near the Balihai Hotel, they had discovered, while they were excavating, an 80-foot-long voyaging canoe. And they found, amongst the wreckage of that canoe, which had been hit by a tidal wave, together with the whole village around it, um, and buried in the sort of resultant land movement um, and preserved in the swamp, they also found a number of interesting things and from these ancient Polynesian people. And the twin brother, or sister as the case may be, of the whalebone patus that you can see in here, the one from Murihuku with the handle 
that comes up with those two manaya in the head like that? Yeah. Sitting up there in Huahine. Now, either Huahine was occupied from bluff, or, <laughs> which of course I think is quite a reasonable idea, because that's where my mother, right? Or the people who came here to this island, right? Our tupunas who came into this island and into the other island, that they were coming, that the, the, the cultural things from that place are exactly the same as the earliest cultural things found here, right? And those patus up there are the same as the patus found here. And they're about one and a half thousand years old. Perfectly dated with carbon dating. So, point I'm making to you is the idea that these people were gentle souls communing with nature, talking sensitively to more, and generally um, living, is a lot of invention really, designed to show the later development of Māori as nasty, brutal, and generally horrible. Um, a warlike people who got their just desserts after the British Army arrived. Now, that sort of story has been around a long time. And even for those of us in Ngaitahu, we've had the same sort of stuff told us to us about Waitaha and Katimamoi and the other peoples of the island. So because of those sort of problems, and because your minds, if you have been informed, uh, are liable to be a little bit mixed and confused about those things, I thought that I would start this program off uh, for the Māori here in Christchurch with my first session here um, on this question. Who are our tūpuna and where did they come from? How did we get here? Right? And it's because of that sort of messing up. There's a book by Canon Stack that many of our people have in their homes, treasured, quite rightly, because he was a very important man. But he says, basically, that first there was the, uh, these ancient Waitaha people, uh, and then there was these horrible Ngati Mamoi who came down and beat up on them, and then came the victorious, conquering Norman conquest um, uh, of Ngata, who gave those Mamoi what they deserved. You see? And, of course, then, to pay them all back for their wickedness, along came the Canterbury Pilgrims. Right. Now, that sort of idea is really a parcel of Pākehā invention. And... So I'm going to go back uh, to something of the beginning. And that was Sir Tipine O'Regan delivering a lecture series at the 1987 Te Māori Exhibition. E te iwi kua tai mai tātou ki te mutunga o Te Ahikā. A neira a Regan Māori me te whakamārama o tēnei whakatauki. Toitū he whenua, whatu ngaro Te tangata. The land is permanent, man disappears. And what that means to me is that, you know, with pollution and gas emissions, that once we are gone, um, who's going to look after this beautiful place? Who's going to keep it going once we're all gone? The people, tangata. Hei mihi tēnei ki ngā kai kōrero katoa me ngā kai whakahaere mihini. Hei tērā wiki e te iwi, Mauri ora.